0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we sing a song with words so clear and, and so gripping like that one. And we are left to say, what can we say? What can we do but say thank you? Praise be to your name. You have saved us. A remarkable, remarkable thing. We who ran from you we have no ability and no right to stand before You, and in fact did not even want to, but fled Your presence. You pursued us and You saved us. All by grace. Amazing. Bless Your holy name. We take truth like that and we, we ask You, Lord, would You, would you in, in a real way, would You humble us, beneath that truth, and then fill us and empower us with that truth. And those are not contradictory thoughts. They are complementary thoughts. Humble power, humbled beneath the truth that you saved by grace and empowered by the truth that you have saved us by grace. Would you make us a people like that? And even now, Lord, would you take this passage that's in front of us and speak the same message to us from it? Show us something, Lord, I ask you from this this short passage here today. Show us something of what it means to be a follower of you. Show us and humble us and empower us. Show us the marvelous truth of the gospel and move us by it to follow your decrees. Would you have your way here in, in this room now, Lord? Would you clear away whatever distractions there might be, and would you cause your Spirit to rest heavy on us even now? To press into us the truth of your Word, to build us up and, and not just give us facts from which we can be more knowledgeable, but to take those truths and press them into us to change us with them. Would you do work even now, Father, by your Spirit in your people? Do so for the glory of Christ here in his church and in the world outside. And do so for the good of us, your children. Father, would you love us even now by teaching us, by drawing us on after you? Thank you, Lord. We love you, we trust you, and we put this time in your hands and ask you to move. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 5. It's been three weeks since we were last in this gospel. In Luke chapter 4, where we saw the beginning of Jesus' personal ministry. After he was led by the Spirit of God into and then through the wilderness, facing all the temptations of Satan there, facing them and triumphing over them, that was the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus returned, we are told, still in the power of the Spirit to Galilee in the northern part of, of Israel, returned there verse 14 tells us that and then he began to travel around from town to town preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of God chapter 4 verse 43 tells us that this was his ministry traveling and teaching 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 the constant beat what his ministry was about he was teaching the people about God's kingdom And about what it means to be brought into God's kingdom, what God is doing to draw people to himself. He did a lot of teaching. And his ministry was also full of healing. Saw that in chapter 4 as well. Empowered by the Spirit, Jesus has astonishing, amazing, two words used there in that chapter. has astonishing authority and power to teach and also to heal. Casting out demons... Healing people who are sick because of demons and healing people who are sick because of other more ordinary means and reasons. He exercises astonishing authority in town after town. In chapter 4, showed us just one particular incident in Capernaum. He didn't stay there, but he visited Capernaum often. He was there, and then, as the end of the chapter said, he traveled around and was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's the very end of chapter 4. So that's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, teaching and healing, synagogue, 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 town after town after town. But it wasn't only in synagogues. As Jesus was becoming known, crowds were gathering to him everywhere, investigating him. People heard about him and came around to check him out, see what he had to say. And that provides the setting for our passage today at the beginning of chapter 5. One such random gathering is here where we see a crowd gather, but we really see the focus beginning to shift from the crowd to a particular group of called-out ones from the crowd. Jesus today is going to begin to select, to to focus on and call out a group of disciples, some of whom obviously will recognize the names, some of whom become some of the the, twelve, the disciples. But there are other unnamed ones here who also come and follow him. and he's at work to draw people out and beginning to explain in so doing what it means to be a follower of him. A disciple. It doesn't tell us everything, but it begins to tell us, this is what it is to follow me. This is what it is to be a disciple. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, just the beginning of his showing, his explaining, Discipleship. Let me sum up this passage's message in this sentence and put it in one sentence. Jesus' disciples are those caught by grace so as to be catchers of others. Jesus' disciples, followers of Him, Jesus' disciples are those caught by His grace so as to be catchers of others. I'm going to work towards that point today by making two observations from the passage, but first, let me read it, and then I'll pass back through It's a short passage, not real complicated, so I'll have only a few details to explain, but I'm going to read the passage and explain some more of the details, and then draw out two observations. This is Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion Put out into the deep and let down your nets for catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, they left everything and followed him. Luke 5, 1-11. The <coughs> setting is the shoreline of the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Crowds gathered around Jesus, and you can kind of see them as they're crowding, and they're kind of pinning him against the shoreline as they press in closer and closer. It says, to hear the word of God. A little phrase that Luke does not elaborate on, but he puts it in there because Luke's also gradually trying to show us Who is this Jesus? There's A little point made here that he just leaves in passing, but it would be helpful for us to note, the word of Jesus is the word of God. Which is why, back in chapter 4, people were astonished at his word because he had authority. He's not just taking the word of God and explaining it, like I do. He speaks the word of God. That's different. Which is why it struck people. Why people were gathered in, wanting to hear, wanting to hear. Something was was engaging, something was, was captivating in the word of Jesus. It's the word of God. And they might not have known that, might not have understood it. And Luke just leaves it there for us to note and moves on. But this is something about Jesus that perhaps as you're investigating who is he, he's one who speaks the very word of God. He's teaching People are gathering around, pressing in on him. In verse 2, there were two boats there, 20, 30-foot-long fishing boats drawn up on the shore, and the fishermen are away cleaning their nets. They're done for the day, as we, as we saw. They've been fishing all night. And they're finishing up their chores and preparing to go home. That's the setting. And we should pause there and ask, why? Why are we here? This is not a synagogue synagogues at the very end of the last chapter and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's a natural place for preaching and teaching. That makes sense. Or perhaps maybe a highway, a place where Jesus might be walking and somebody might see him and a crowd might start to form and they would notice who's at the core of this group of people so it would grow and grow and grow. Maybe on a highway or a commonly traveled piece of ground or a synagogue. That makes sense, but this is a work site. The crowd's here because Jesus is here, but why is Jesus here? Because Jesus is going fishing. For a couple of guys in particular. Jesus gets into Simon's boat. Using it as a floating pulpit, so to speak. You see how that works there. And then when he's done, that's all setting. This isn't really about him teaching the crowds. When he's done then, he makes a request of Simon Peter, phrased as a command, but it's a request, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's a statement with an air of certainty but it's no small request because this is not just fishing with a rod and reel and it's not just fishing with with light nets kind of skimming the surface. These are heavy nets that they let down into the depth of the water and they just cleaned them. They've been at this all night and as the text says they toiled all night they have exhausted themselves all night and emphasis, nothing they took. A little underline in the grammar emphasizes, nothing they took. And Peter's respectful, calls him master, which is a term roughly synonymous with a rabbi, teacher, master. You can think, you know the Bible, and you might know carpentry, I know fishing, this ain't going to work. And we're exhausted, and these guys want to go home. But at your word, he's very, Peter is respectful with him. Master, and at your word, I will let down the nets. But they probably weren't really excited about it. But they let down the nets, and the catch could not have been any larger. The nets almost break. They swamp both the boats, as we see there. You, know, you can see they caught the absolute maximum number of fish. Fish are jumping over the sides of the net, fish are jumping over the sides of the boat. They caught the absolute maximum possible number of fish, which is a complete contrast. Nothing we took, and they're astonished at the catch they took. It's an absolute and total contrast. Couldn't get less than zero, couldn't get more than they got. And it's all because of Jesus, obviously caused by him. For they were astonished at the catch of the fish The reaction is based on astonishment, that same word from chapter 4, at this absolute total change in catch. And that astonishment triggers Peter's response in verse 8. Peter falls at his knees, at Jesus' knees, amidst all these fish, and says, wow, that was awesome, thanks. No. That's not what he says. It's what he should say it's what we think he should say and it's even what the text thinks he should say because it introduces Peter's comments with a contrast but contrary to expectation but Peter when he saw it all said "Oh, oh. there's fear we know he's afraid because Peter says don't be afraid Because Jesus says, Don't be afraid when he responds to him. He's afraid. Away from me, Lord. Away. Changed. He called him master. Now he calls him Lord. Away. Fear there. And Jesus calms his fear. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Catching, there, is a word used for taking something alive. So this is a fishing context, and the fish, obviously, they die when you take them into the boat. But he doesn't mean to say that about the people they're going to catch. This is taking something alive, not like hunting it down and killing it. This is capturing it. You could even say that there's like a rescuing idea implied here. The, The connotation is a positive one. From now on, you will be catching men. So when they all got to shore, they left everything, Peter, James, John, and the others. They had been caught. And so they went with Jesus to go on catching others with him. Caught to catch. That's the passage. From it, as I said, I'm going to draw two observations. And here's the first one. Showing us here, it's explaining. These, these, two, these two points are... are The beginning of a depiction for us about what discipleship looks like, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The first one is probably pretty obvious. Here's here's what we are to be about. And the second one is more about how that happens in a genuine and, and full and whole way. But here's the first observation. Jesus calls and equips disciples to join with him in his witnessing work. Jesus calls and equips disciples to join with him in his witnessing work. That's what he has for us Christians who are followers of him. We're seeing here Jesus is calling disciples, and obviously he's spent a lot of time engaging with Peter. But there are others here, named and unnamed, and all of them leave everything at verse 11, and they all come follow him. So, this is a statement about not just Peter, but about disciples. And we who are disciples today should should note this. He's talking about us, explaining what it is for us to be followers. And first, of course, he creates the illustration. Let's go out into the deep water and catch a ton of fish. And then he explains the illustration. What I mean is, come out with me away from here, we're going to catch a ton of people. We're going to catch a ton of people. That's what he's saying. From now on, you will be, Jesus' statement here in verse 11, end of verse 10, from now on, you will be, that's continually, not once, an ongoing enterprise, you will be catching men. Not just fishing for men. Catching. This will be fruitful. It will be successful. This will work. Now, we have to recognize they got that because he said that, well, there's all this flipping going on around them. He said that, They're up to the gunnels and fish. Right? This, but with people. Before, nothing. Now, this, but people. This is going to be fruitful. You will be catching men. Alive for their good. Now, That's obviously not very complicated, not very confusing. We see that. But just stop here. Hover over this for a minute and see it. Take it in. This is what Jesus characterizes, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, the the one who's walking with Jesus in life, This is what he characterizes us as. And granted, there are other ways that we can think about discipleship. There's more to it than only this. But there is this. Not the only time he says this either. There is this right here. Jesus begins to explain discipleship by starting here. So we can't overlook or exclude this depiction. This is how he characterizes life as a follower, life as a fisherman, fisherwoman, who catches people. A life of witnessing. A life of evangelism, if you want to use that word. A life of testifying to Jesus. Fruitful. It's a call, and really it's a promise that we should be be looking at this and we should be so encouraged by the promise of fruitfulness in it. You will catch. And in saying that, I do have to kind of acknowledge something about language here, so taking a little aside here. Realize that this particular metaphor of fishing and catching, it doesn't allow for any gradation. You either catch a fish or you don't. We could use another metaphor that Jesus also uses, the book of John, to talk about reaping and sowing. Some reap and some, some sow and some reap. And that metaphor allows for gradation put the seed in the ground, this guy waters it, that gal pulls a weed, this one puts some fertilizer on it, and then these ones at the end draw on the harvest. There's, there are pieces, there are steps along the way. So we could use that metaphor, one that has obvious allowance for different roles and different gifts and different aptitudes and different degrees of gift and different degree of aptitude. But the point is, whether we're using an agricultural analogy or a fishing analogy, fruitfulness. Reaping, sowing leads to reaping. It's a, it's a piece all along the way of a productive, fruitful enterprise. Or, to use our picture, catching. He said, Christian, to walk with me is to catch. Called to join with him in his work, we will be fruitful. Without Him, all we got was nothing all night but exhaustion. With Him, following Him, following Him who has come to seek and to save that which is lost, following Him who speaks the very words of God with astonishing power, with Him abundant, abundant, look at the boat, abundant harvest is certain. All whom he seeks, he saves. All those given to him by his Father, he catches and does not lose a single one of them. This is the certainty with what Jesus speaks in John chapter 6. He catches men. Lots. And we are going with him. Catching men alive. This is discipleship in part. There are other ways to describe it, and there are other ways we can think about it. We can think about discipleship in relation to our own growth, certainly. But Jesus here gives shape. At the very beginning, gives shape to the purpose of us walking with him, and it is outward-looking. It is other-oriented. A word, perhaps somewhat in vogue these days, missional. It has a mission to it, an out-there goal, an expanding of the kingdom purpose. We are to be on task with Jesus who says of himself, I came to seek and save the lost, follow me. To do what? To come catch me. With him in his power. i got to say that again. i probably said that like a dozen times. With him in his power. It makes it crystal clear the only reason any fish in the boat is because of him. The only reason there's any catching is because of him. There's no accident that this passage comes right after chapter 4. And what do we see in chapter four? The astonishing power of Jesus to teach and to heal, to cast out demons, he gathers in fish, He gathers in people. He has power. He accomplishes His purposes. Come with me into my work. It will succeed. It will bear fruit. His kingdom will advance. His people will be called in as He speaks through us. Jesus calls and equips disciples to join with Him in His witnessing work as He goes with us from now on all the way to the end of the age. That is undeniably here in this passage, the very beginning of his explanation of discipleship, that is what we are. And for some of us, that does mean some kind of unique change of the trajectory of our lives, some unique choice of vocation, maybe even a turn into full-time vocational mission work. For some of us. But for most of us, the great majority of us, what he calls us to is more like what he says to other disciples. After he calls them to himself, he turns them right back into their city and says, go right back and tell those people about me. Go right back to where you were. Most of us, we we are going to live sent to our neighborhoods, on mission in our families, at work, out into the yard to talk to the neighbor. That is where the great majority of most of our lives live are lived. And we need to be thinking as we're doing that. We need to be thinking, thinking, thinking. I am catching men. I am, to switch the language, I am sowing. Engaged in a fruitful enterprise. Not fruitless, fruitful. That's what we are about. A catcher of people for their good. When we consider how to fish, we need to keep that in mind because this is not uh, mercenary or manipulative or coercive, which is a great relief to us and to other people. This is not by hook or by crook, by any possible way, get him in the boat. We enter into people's lives and commend to them Jesus and leave it up to his power to draw them. We enter into their lives, commend to them Jesus as the one who meets their need. There will come a sticking point there because we have to talk about need. Your great need is what? Your great need is forgiveness. Your great need is atonement for sin. And Jesus is the one who meets your great need. And beneath that, all other needs. Beneath that, everything else is is taken care of. We we commend that to people. We enter into their lives drawing up near to them. We commend that and we leave it. We don't coerce or force. Trust it to God. He calls us and equips us with Himself, with His Spirit in us and through us, to witness to Him and to catch men. That is abundantly clear. And when I come to something like that, I inevitably feel, and maybe maybe you're feeling a little bit right now. I inevitably feel a little bit like, ah. Because, though I have used the language of, this is describing what it is to be a disciple, and though the language is, you will be catching men, he's stating, he's describing, stating what is, inevitably we hear, and there's a little bit of appropriateness in this, inevitably we hear in that, not description, but assignment. Assignment. And that's not totally wrong because, obviously, if that's what we are to be about, then we need to be engaging with people and speaking to them about Christ. There is something of an assignment in there, but I hear it only as assignment. And I kind of go, because it felt like obligation and burden. So I'm moving on towards the second point here, but I'm not going to state it. If you take notes, maybe you write a blank right here. I'm not going to state it to the end. But if that first point only comes at you, you only hear in it the burden, the obligation, maybe a little red flag should go up. Not, be careful here, not at the stating of the duty. It's Clear, not only from this passage, but from almost every other page of the Bible, that we are a people who have duty. What are all the commands in the Old and in the New Testament? The New Testament is as full of commands as the Old Testament is. Instruction to us, duty, things we are supposed to do, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that is, obedient to Him and not disobedient That's all over the place. It's not wrong for us to read that. We should actually see it, delight in it. It's good. The law of the Lord is upright and holy and wonderful and beautiful. The little red flag shouldn't go up when I see what I'm supposed to do. The little red flag should go up when I see myself, feel myself, kind of slumping towards obedience from a guilt or a try harder, do better mentality. That's when the little warning, something's not right here. I've heard it wrong or I'm thinking about it wrong. Is that you right now? When I've said all this, as I've said, you're a disciple of Christ, and what he says first and foremost is you are to be a witness, and you're thinking, I'm a cruddy witness. I am a, I'm a bad witness. I'm an inconsistent witness. I'm an ineffective witness. I'm not fruitful at all. And I, frankly, most times he said I'm supposed to be walking through life with my family, with my workmates, with my neighbors, thinking about catching men. I haven't thought about that in years. Loser. Burden. Watch something here. If that's you, then you, yourself, have not actually been fully caught yet. I'm not talking about are you a Christian or not. I'm talking about Caught, as in captured for him. There's something more in this passage to catch you and enable you to pursue your duty, not from guilt or from human effort, but from gladness and from freedom, which ironically is that which makes you an effective catcher. Because the delight and the freedom and the joy is what's contagious, is what commends Jesus to people. There's something here, and it's found in what the part we haven't talked about yet, Peter's response. Peter is right, you know. Peter's right. Jesus is Lord, and Peter is a sinner. And Jesus shouldn't be anywhere near Peter. That's right. What happens when all the fish pour into the boat? They're coming over the sides, they're filling up the boat. Peter, and probably others, but Peter we see particularly, becomes alarmed as the blinders are removed and he realizes that he is standing in the presence, not just of a really good Bible teacher who was a decent carpenter, but he's standing in the presence of Lord. He doesn't know all that that means yet. But he gets something. Something. He gets, more than just a good teacher of the scriptures, this Jesus, you right in front of me, you in some way or somehow, you are uniquely, profoundly, deeply connected to the divine, and I am not. Away from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord been respectful to you and I humored you letting the nets down again but woe is me because right now I see that I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and unclean hearts that are deceitful and lead us astray and you are other I am undone this is not right he's right about that he sees something Peter, sinful man that he is. You, sinful man, sinful woman that you are, sinful teenager, sinful child, sinful people that we are. We are. We have no place, no right. We cannot stand with Him, before Him. The Holy Lord and sinful humanity are not compatible. Sinful humanity, if we understood it like Peter suddenly does, if we understood who we were, and the holiness of God, if we understood it like Peter suddenly does, if we saw it, we would see a way. And we would get, there's nothing that I can do, I can't go be a good enough fisherman to fix this, to make it right. If we saw the Lord high and lifted up like Peter caught a glimpse of, we would flee from Him. The naked power, the naked glory of Christ does not catch Peter. When he piles the fish into the boat, it repels him. That's not how he caught him. Jesus actually caught him at the end of verse 10. Jesus didn't catch Peter when he piled the fish into the boat. He caught him at the end of verse 10. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to strike you, and I'm not leaving. In fact, I'm taking you with me into my work. How can this be? It's as if Jesus said, we know how it can be. We've read the rest of the story. This Jesus said, all this power, all this wisdom, all this glory that you are seeing right here, it is who I am not to crush you in your sinfulness. I have drawn near you in your sinfulness. I have come into your sinful boat. I have come into your sinful life to deal with your sinfulness and remove it so that I do not need to go away. But can stay drawn up nice and close and tight with you and actually take you with me for all the rest of your life. This power, this glory, this Lord. What we're seeing here is is an effect of the cross. It deals with the problem, the barrier between this Lord and this person. It's as if he says to him, I don't cast you into the deep, but I myself plunge into the deep to go catch you and draw you up out of the depth of your despair and misery and condemnation i go into the deep to draw you out of it this love casts away peter's fear this shows Peter something else. It changes Peter's perspective on who Jesus is and on who he is. Not that I'm not a sinner anymore. Not that he's not glorious anymore. But that this is okay together. It changed him. That's how he caught him. And he catches you in that same way. Not by blessing you with any good material need, no matter how great the material or how great the need. He will never fully catch you until He captures your heart by the display of His glory and His power that removes your sin. That's what changes you. So bring this back. The problem that's going on inside of us when we hear the the, you will be catchers of men and we go, I better get busy. That's going to be hard. I'm not very good at it, but I better be better at it. What's going on there is actually too little of a grasp of your inability and sinfulness and too small of a grasp of his holiness and inaccessibility. When you blow both of those up, fear comes and then the gospel comes and casts away fear. It says, you have nothing to fear, and your behavior isn't going to fix anything. Don't worry about your behavior. Your fear cast out captures your heart. And as one writer said, I'm not talking about this passage, I'm talking about something else, a man's tongue wags about what compels him. Always. A person's tongue wags about what compels us. We always talk about what we find awesome and interesting and fascinating and wonderful and delightful, meaningful, of great importance. That's what's filling our minds. That's what's filling our hearts. That's what comes out of our lips and catches other people. We don't catch other people with obligation, not ourselves obligated, we don't catch other people by telling them their obligation. We catch other people when we, from lips that are released, talk about release. When we, from, people, from hearts that know forgiveness, talk about forgiveness. Captivated by grace, you become a persuasive catcher. So here's the second point. It is the gracious mercy of God at the cross that catches us and moves us to follow Him in service. It is the gracious mercy of God at the cross that catches us And moves us to follow Him in service. So the first point is Him explaining what we are as disciples and there is indeed in that some duty. And how we get there, how we walk after Him in obedience is not by trying harder to be obedient. Not by try harder, but perhaps we might say by Look again. Or, pray for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you would be captured, caught by the grace of God for you. This, this paradigm can be placed behind every obligation in the Christian life, every commandment, every duty. We don't eliminate the duties. They're there. But we don't pursue them by human effort. We pursue them by looking again and praying for our, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened that Jesus would capture us, would catch us. And compelled by him Moved by him. Our tongues would wag. Or our hands would act. Our feet would walk. Whatever the obedient call is. Brothers and sisters, Jesus very much means for us to participate with him in the fruitful and, and the exciting work of catching men. And how he does it is he catches you first, really catches you, so that the gospel is a a massive hook in you, the gospel of grace is a massive hook in you that pulls you along with him, and and you just can't, you can't get off of it, you can't get away from it, it is glorious and marvelous, have you seen it, have you heard about it, do you know the release of it, and you say that with a face that actually is genuinely lit up, not acting like it's lit up, because you're caught That's compelling. And from that, God bears fruit, not only in your life, but in the lives of others. Disciples of Jesus are those who are caught by his grace to be catchers of others. So look again at the gospel that forgives you and calls you to walk with him amazingly. Let me pray. Lord, would you please move us by this genuine changing of our hearts and not purely by the laying down of obligation, in this case, an obligation to be witnesses. Move us by causing us to wonder, to wonder at the fact that you have saved us all by your grace. We who ran from You, who should have run from You in Your holiness, You caught us and drew us back never to leave us nor forsake us. Catch Your people, Lord, with that truth. Spirit of God, would You cause it to be more real and more compelling than everything else in life and by that truth move us to follow the decrees of God. Lord, we thank you for your work of saving us, and we thank you for your work of using us, and we pray build your church. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.